Greetings, and welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. In this episode, we hear a conversation between Mario Ibarra Jr. and Chinupahanska Luger. Mario is a visual and performance artist, an educator, and an activist who combines street culture with fine art in order to produce what he calls contemporary art that is filtered through a Mexican-American experience in Los Angeles. Mario has exhibited at the Art Institute of Chicago, ICA Boston, LACMA, Mocha Detroit, The Tate, and the Whitney Biennial, among others. His work with Slanguage Studio, a project Mario founded with his partner Carla Diaz 20 years ago, has been an influential and oftentimes sole provider of arts in his community. Slanguage Studio embodies a lifetime commitment to their community with contribution to the careers of many young artists, curators, and organizers practicing in the art world and affecting change today. This conversation is presented by artist Chinupahanska Luger, who is a reoccurring host and leading the spring-summer sessions of the podcast for 2022. This episode was produced by myself, Ginger Donnell, for Broken Boxes Podcast. And the music feature at the end is Young, Gifted, and Brown by Joe Batan. Follow Mario's work on Instagram at Mario underscore Ibarra underscore Junior and Slanguage Studio at Slanguage Studio. Thanks for being a part of the project, Mario, and I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed listening to it while it was being recorded. Hey, what's up, Chanupa? How are you, dude? Good. How are you, Mario? Good, sir. Yeah, man. I was just telling Ginger, like, this artist life. I said, I think we're at the point now where we need to buy, like, one of those little metro vans, like, little city vans. Because <laughs> Carla, Carla had to go to the studio and pick up artwork to take to her gallery and She's like, does it, she's like measuring like the little Kia that we have yesterday. Like, did the painting fit in there? Yeah. I'm like, uh, what are those, uh, those Ford Transits? Give one of those yeah, one of those things. But my, <laughs> friend was, my friend was telling me, dude, I don't know. You shouldn't get those because a full sheet of plywood wouldn't fit in the back. And I'm like, <laughs> well, like, okay. So I have a 88 VW van. And that thing, it will, it's better than my truck for like hauling lumber and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like weirdly bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I don't, I don't get it. There's like a pocket universe in there. Yeah, I believe you. I believe you. Yeah, see, that's what my friend told me. He was like, don't, don't mess around and buy one of those uh, Ford little vans. He's like, buy like a a family van and just take all the seats out. (laughs) Just take all the seats out and you'll be like, fine. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, that's what I do. Because I just took all the seats out. And and he's like, and then he was telling me something about here in California that you don't have to pay like a business, having like a business tax because it's not like a business van. If it's like a family van, a minivan, (laughs) you just tear all the shit out. (laughs) That sounds good, dude. (laughs) That's my new band's name. Business yeah. man. Business <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get um I want my new underwear to say business van on the <laughs> <laughs> look at that. Are those BVDs? What does that stand for? Business van dog? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 it's all business van. These are business van dog. 
calzones, ponies. <laughs> no windows. It's got no windows. Hey, and my new chonies are going to have no windows either, bro. That's what, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a business van the whole time. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Oh, my well, I'm happy to see you, uh, Mario. I'm happy to see you, too, dude. How's life been treating you? Oh, man. Um, I've been I, this year, like the past two years have been pretty, pretty like, like jumping through hoops, man, like real yeah. life stuff going on. But this year I've been, um, you know, I've been kind of getting to heal a little bit from my father passing and then here yeah. healing from like my body just physically i feel like i have a lot more energy i'm like back like when i got sick in 2020 like i gained all this weight because i wasn't really moving around so much but like now i'm back down to my 36 uh 36 38 jeans <laughs> like but i don't feel like i'm just like ooh, heavy i've been walking and that's good you look good thank I'll, you, I'll, thank I'll you. say that to you um thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. walking around and just preparing more food here at home. And yes, yeah, so I feel much better. Like my energy is like back. I'm starting to feel back to like my normal self. I've been doing these walks. I've been trying to just take care of myself, dancing a little bit. When I go to the studio, I'll like DJ for an hour and kind of like shake my booty while like I'm kind of there. And I play 45s. So they're only like three minutes long, right? So like I'll play the song and then I'll run and go do something in the studio and then that song's over. So I gotta run back and put another song and like <laughs> kind of keep me active. DJ, <laughs> at least, yeah, at least like running back and forth from the turntables. Like I'm like, all right, that was three minutes worth of movement. Like come back and put another record on. Like ah, move stuff around and count it, count yeah, it. You gotta put your records underneath something heavy, so you always have to lift something in between. Yeah. <laughs> But I've been getting back in the studio, moving around, and uh, I feel really good to be like back in back in my studio and moving things around and finding shit that I didn't know where the hell it had been for two years. I'm like, oh, that's where that phone charger was. Like, yeah. Oh shit, <laughs> that's where this was. Yeah, I knew I knew it had a lighter someplace. Like, yeah. Well, Mario, let me um, basically just have you kind of introduce yourself. Uh, in the way that you like to introduce yourself. And then let's just, oh, like, I like the energy of our conversation right now. And I want to just get it started so that we can just create the conversation. I just want to say, Dosha Maragua. Hello, my friend. I hope you're doing well. And I'm happy to see you today. Uh, we were just out in your neck of the woods for like about four hours and uh, flew through LA. Oh, but um man. I, I knew as soon as we got back home that I got to chop it up with you. So I'm very excited. But if you wouldn't mind, please, uh, Mario, introduce yourself and, uh, and you know, just give me a little, little background on your practice, what you're interested in, what inspires you. And we'll just have a conversation in that fashion um, kind of unfold. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, thank you, Chanupa. Thank you, Ginger, for having me here today. Uh, my name is Mario Ibarra Jr. or Mario Ivana Jr. The one I don't like is Mario Ibarra Jr. Like I'm not really <laughs> down with that one, but um, 
<laughs> I'm out reaching out to you guys uh, from Tongva land out here in Los Angeles, California. I'm down here in the port area of Los Angeles in a place called Wilmington, California. Uh, it's like right next to Long Beach, uh, California. So it's Wilmington, California, but growing up here, it's called Wilmas. I think there's something like 10 Cal uh, Wilmingtons in the country, but there's only one Wilmas. And uh, <laughs> it's an old school, like Mexican-American, Chicano barrio, like pretty much anybody that, you know, has come through here in the past couple hundred years from Mexico has had some relative or somebody that lives in Wilmas. And uh, it's right on the port. It's part of the port of Los Angeles, which is like the fifth largest port in the world, believe it or not. It's like the first largest port in the Americas. So all that stuff that's been, you've been watching on the news with all the cargo ships and stuff out in our port here is what is kind of been going down in my area. Uh, it's one of the last kind of bastions of blue collar organized labor in the United States, the International Longshoremen and Warehousemen's Union who, uh, who have the jurisdiction of working on the docks is like the biggest employer in our area. So like I think it's something like the 60% 60, 60 of our gross national product, like everything we buy at the dollar store, Walmart, cars, everything kind of comes through the port here. So it is, a, it is a place here where if somebody says it, it fell off of a truck, <laughs> it really did fall off a truck, and somebody probably has a garage full of them. So when you start seeing Facebook posts like, I got the new PlayStation, I got 10 of them, like who's coming now to buy them? Like they probably fell off of a truck or a train or some kind of cargo container. And uh, so it's kind of an interesting place to grow up because we have two major parades here. We have the Christmas parade uh, that looks like, uh, you know, hardcore Mexican-American stuff. There's like the charro vaqueros on the horses dancing, you know, and then behind them come the lowriders dancing. <laughs> it's like horses and cars and like the German, you really see the German influence on northern Mexico and uh, trailer beds full of like North Northern Mexican banda players come through playing umpa music, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like tubas and accordions. And, and I remember one time I had this curator from Berlin with me watching that parade. And I was like, man, see what you guys did to Mexico, man. I got to hear this stuff every Christmas. And then the second parade is our Labor Day parade, which is, it looks like Chinupa, look, if you ever hear around that time, you get, you'll enjoy it because it looks like something out of The Simpsons, man, because there's like all the longshoremen go first and they wear these white hats and they wear like the, you know what I, they have like the, you know what I did last summer hooks in their hands, you know, and they're like stomping and marching and they do this drill team thing. And then behind them will be the carpenters union and they have this huge hammer. And um, it looks like something straight out The Simpsons, man. Like I, I then the teachers union and all that and so it's kind of an interesting place because it is really like where the rubber hits the road in relationship to like socialist organization socialism and organization and when that hits capitalism and where the two somehow like merge and um so it's kind of interesting to be growing up in an area where like the power of kind of unionized labor and solidarity that way and kind of understanding what uh 
contract negotiations look like and what <laughs> work slowdown looks like and what the president will say if like threaten your community if people don't go back to work, if contracts aren't negotiated. And uh, so it's just an interesting place. Uh, you know, be, being uh, growing up here, I've, I've grown up here, my family's lived here for a few generations. Wow. Um, so, you know, my mother, my stepfather, all my cousins, all my aunts and uncles, my everybody pretty much works down at the docks. Uh, mm-hmm. the, other, the other thing that is here is that uh, surrounding our community, we have seven oil refineries. Uh, it's right. incredible because uh, per capita, the population in our community is only like uh, the ratio should only be like one one. Uh, oil refiner we have seven so like there's a lot of uh, environmental injustice that kind of happens here every day Uh, so it's not I grew up in LA but it's kind of like a whole other perception of LA you know it's not like red bikinis on um, in Baywatch on in Malibu (laughs) you know it's not that and it's not a like a kind of south central portrayal of Los Angeles that's like with uh, rappers and kind of that type of gang stuff, you know? And it's not like a Hollywood perception of Los Angeles. It's kind of like this, this kind of tucked away, like this huge industry that is global, that is tucked away um, on like the other side of town. So when people come to visit, so if y'all get to come back to LA again, uh, my wife and I, Carla, uh, we like to give people these tours called the ghetto pass tour. And it's like everything but the beach. <laughs> like you want to go to beach in Hollywood, like you figure that out. You, most people know how to get there. But like we take you everything east of the 110 freeway. And like I'll show you the rooftop where Snoop Dogg shot for the VIP records uh, video and like stuff like that. And we'll go through town and visit a lot of historical jazz corridors in Los Angeles and places when you pass by, uh, you wouldn't, you did, LA's kind of funny that way because we don't have like, we're not like New York or other places that have like a brass plaque on everything historic. Like we're just like somebody just like tore it down and built something new. And then there's no kind of commemoration of that. So it's kind of, you kind of have to have like a little bit of a guide to be like, Look at this, like that's, and and that the cityscape and growing up here, uh, really has inspired me to like be an artist and to kind of tell the story of kind of growing up here and the folks I grew up with, etc. And to uh, not give a fuck about anybody because like nobody in the art world is gonna kick my ass, like you know what I mean, like like. Our world ain't scary, bro. Like, I grew up with Samoan girls, dude. They'll kick your ass. Like, I'm like, I'm like when I go to the I'm like, oh, these people are all nice. Like, nobody's going to kick my ass here. Like, growing up, I had to really worry about getting my ass kicked. I go to art, I'm like, oh, these people are cool people. They're nice. They're friendly, you know, whatever. There might be some shade thrown here and there, but it's like, nobody's really going to touch you. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm having a good time here. Yeah, that's funny. That's <laughs> funny how it is. I, I can really to that you know um standing in those in those spaces it's always like yeah what you said might hurt my feelings a little bit but I'm not you don't intimidate me you know like I'm I'm just sorry I you know and and you know what the fucked up thing is 
I might be able to function better if you did intimidate me, but you yeah, don't. You have that little spark, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I understand that. I understand that. And um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, so that's kind of who I am. Uh, you know, I've been really fortunate as an artist, you know, like going through school. Like, I always say that a lot of the guys I grew up with, uh, which is true. They all went to, you know, state institutions and federal institutions, like in terms of prison sentences. And I, I was kind of the youngest kid on my block. And I guess I have what they call like little brother syndrome. So like you see your big brothers messing up and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. But I did go to California institutions. I went to UC Ir University of California, Irvine, and I got federal loans to go to school. So like I have dealt with like the state system and the federal system in a different way than like my big homies did. But um, yeah, so like, that, their stories and their inspiration and their kind of like wherewithal and their kind of understanding of like navigating systems, I felt like I've somehow also uh, been a part of, but it's just like a different kind of spin on the systems that I navigate. Uh, and like I've been able to exhibit in all types of museums at all types of levels and show with different galleries and travel all over the place that um, and uh, so it's been really fun, you know, and the folks I meet are great. But uh, yeah, so that, that kind of inspiration is great, you know, to be able to be on the road and see things. But ultimately, I think it's also been fun to like bring that stuff home, right? Like bring that information home and share it back home um, in a way yeah. if I didn't get to, I wouldn't be able to. Let me ask about that because um, you're bringing up a couple of things that's really kind of fascinating to me. One is, as you were mentioning, the little brother syndrome and having peers and family in a community network. You're part of this community. They're a part of you. So their experiences are also um, you experience vicariously, you know, and, and it touches you in ways that maybe a lot of folks who live more um, transient or nomadic lives don't have that relationship to place, you know, um, that yeah. solid kind of relationship to place and shared experience, you know, um, I think is really kind of fascinating because it, it also allows you to navigate those same institutional systems, maybe not the same spaces, but the same systems in a way with clarity, you know, where you're there, there isn't as much surprise. But the second thing I, I'm intrigued with, and I'm happy for you to kind of dive in on both of those subjects is, um, what it means to bring that back and home, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, those and are how, how that affects kind of your relationship to everybody else, so they can experience the same systemic systemic issues, but in a different light, you know, different space. Yeah, um, I'll answer the little brother part uh, first. Uh, yeah, so like on my block, I was like the youngest kid of about seven kids that, that kind of hung out together, and then they let me hang out with them and they kicked my ass every day and like did all this stuff every day. And then they were like the little kids, like they, they didn't get to like hang out with us. And uh, so I was like the kid that like, if they burnt something, they would put all the matches in my pocket and like run away. <laughs> like they would, the, things like that. And um, so being able, what I've been able to kind of think about this uh, for a little bit. And I've been, the, the, the term that comes to my mind has been, uh, and I've been working on different kind of projects that are under these kind of headers and it's called 
uh, brown skin, black music, white institutions. Like that's been like what we've been navigating through, like having like a brown skin in the United States and all those things that that means and uh, like a kind of pride in that, but then an understanding that it has to be like kind of, you have to use it and and know when people are using it against you and have an understanding of this. And that's like, there's no, I can't remove it. So like, there's, there's a way that I have to navigate that, right? Um, so brown skin, black music was like a kind of model, uh, you know, through the resistance and culture developed through black music, especially my generation growing up with like, uh, hip hop music, funk music, and kind of soul music and stuff. And now that to see that model and how it navigated through white institutional spaces, i.e. radio, i.e. television, uh, et cetera, right? And then white institutions were these things that, you know, we all had to be part of, like we had to go through school, we had to go through, uh, you know, through higher education, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So like, and then as a professional, what I've had to develop and go through uh, in terms of white institutions. And I, I was thinking about my father in that because my father, he grew up uh, here in the port area and he uh, his first trade was a welder and he welded for the Navy shipyards here. And then um, he went to like a junior college and he took classes in drafting and he understood that, but he had to kind of perform uh, within to try to get the job and, and to be a draft person in the Navy, like to be a welder and to be labor was like part of the scene, but then to like go into an office was like a different thing. And he would tell us the story my, my my wife and I, he's like, yeah, when I was going to get this job, he was, I knew that I had to kind of perform be, looking like a draft person, like looking like an office person to get this job. And I, we were like, well, how did you do that? And he was like, oh, man, I went to the thrift store and I bought a sports coat and I bought a valise, like a little uh, briefcase. And he's like, yeah, then I bought the biggest Coke bottle glasses I could find at the thrift store. <laughs> Because mind you, like my father, like tattooed from like his neck down, right? And he's like, yeah, like I put on the big Coke bottle glasses and I had to put on this sports coat and wear a tie. And I went to to the interview with this little suitcase and he said, yeah. And the the man, I I was like, yeah, I was playing the part of being an office worker person, right? Like a nerd. So I was like, so he, when he was telling me these things, I was like, man, dad, you had to like perform that. You had the skill set, like you had the skill set. But I guess my father lacking the understanding of what code switching is, like he was like, no, nah, man, I got to play the part. Like, I want to get this job. I don't want to be out in the hot welding all the time. I went to school. I want to, uh, uh, you know, go in the office for air conditioning and, and just sit and draw all day. Like, um, he was telling us that. And he said that the, the man that was doing his interview, like put laid out all these blueprints and that he started saying like, oh, this is this and we need to do this and the variables of this and all this kind of stuff. And my father said that he was like, had his ears perked up and listening to the guy. And that um, when the, the man asked my father a question about the plans, my dad said, man, I remembered every word that man said. And I just repeated everything to him backwards. <laughs> like this and this and and then the guy said hey the man told him hey it sounds like you know what you're doing like yeah we want to hire you (laughs) so I think that that's um 
it's it's really complicated, but I think that to be able to have the language uh, in the the language to be able to understand the spectrum of kind of brown skin, black music, white institutions has been beneficial. And I feel like that's been the way that I've been able to like, I personally have been able to navigate these different realms, right? Like, because my friend, he just got out of prison after 32 years and I was asking him questions about, you know, his incarceration. And he was like, oh, you want to want me to tell you how to get over on the system? the same thing dude my father wearing the wearing the wearing the sports coat and the big pop popsicle big pop glasses richard saying oh man you want me to tell you how to get over on the system because i asked him like how were you getting um mcdonald's and pizza and stuff because he would tell me every once in a while like, yeah we got pizza or we got mcdonald's and he's like yeah man we work you got to work the systems and you got to be able to like and you know i i know that doesn't sound um super like rebellious or super like you know subversive but to be able to understand the language that you need to kind of be able to facilitate with in these different spaces um is really important in terms of navigating um and my i, I just i just went through this really complicated not complicated super simple but uh so like i had a big my other big homie uh He's the he's the guy that taught me how to be the most rebellious, anti-authoritarian person ever in my life. And he, when we were when I was a kid, he made me do all kinds of stuff that well, he didn't make me do it. I was like playing along with it. But there, there were things that like, man, like he really taught me how to be a kind of a subversive. And um, I remember his biggest tip was like, never get pulled over on a back street. Always get pulled over on the big street. One, so everybody mm. can see what the cops are doing to you. And then three, make it a show. Like, yeah. make it a show. Like, these fools are going to pull you over and mess with you. Like, one, everybody can see what's happening. And two, you're, it's a show. Like, everybody's like, dang, did you see what happened? Like, it gives you credibility, right? But maybe about a few months ago, I saw him at a party. And I, and I was saying something about something and he goes, yeah, yeah, I know you want to be anti-authoritarian. And I was like, what? Like, it was like, I was like, what are you saying to me? This is messing me up. Like you taught me how to be anti-authoritarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to be against the authority. I know, I know. And I was like, what? He like messed me up. So I was like thinking about it for a month, right? Like, man, he told me to be, anti I want to be anti-authority. And then I saw him again. I was like, dude, you've been messed, you messed me up, man. Like, what the hell were you talking about? Like, you're the one that taught me how to be anti-authority. And he was like, I know, yeah, but you're not a kid no more. You're grown. You should be the authority. And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. So that's kind of like the big brother kind of part of it. And then the bringing it home, like, like I, I was interested in, I'm, I'm interested in talking about, about coming home because you're just coming home, right? From like a long on the road session and uh, being on tour like that is essential for an artist, right? Like you, being able to navigate the road and being able to um, be on the road and, and be lost. Man, I remember when I was on the road, sometimes I would be like on a train 
in the middle of Northern Italy. I didn't understand the language they were saying when my stop was going to be like, I'd get, there would be pitch black outside because we were going through the mountains. Like I didn't, I, I didn't even know if my SIM card was working and the phone I had, I'd like get out on this plaza. I had no idea where I was going. Like I would have to sit down and actually cry. Like, oh man, I'm lost. Like, God help me, like ancestors, find me my way. Cause like right now I'm lost as fuck. And I would like try to text people and try to figure out the numbers. Thank God the technology's caught up a little bit more than when I was on the road. And then people would come find me all happy. Oh, Mario, we found you. And I'd be like, oh, hi. <laughs> I'm fucking crying. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh we're going to eat now. And then, and then be so dumb, like dumb to be like, I'd be in the middle of Italy and they'd ask, oh, Mario, are you ready to eat? And I'd be like, yeah, I just want Chinese food. And they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about, Chinese food? <laughs> are you stupid? And I'd be like, oh, just give me some. Because I'd be like, I just want comfort food. Like to me, like at home here, like take out Chinese and my comfort food. And I'm over here in Italy, could eat like an eight course meal. And all I fucking want is, uh, is Chinese food, you know? And then, but those kind of experiences to come home to back to the neighborhood here and the kids asked me like, oh, Mario, where were you? And then I was like, oh, I was in Milano. I was there during fashion week. I was like hanging out with Enzo Ferrari's grandson. And like, they're like, what? Like, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, he was pretty cool. We were talking about this and that. And the paparazzi was taking pictures of us, not for me, but because of him, you know? And they're like, oh, wow. And like, where else were you? Oh, I was like in a 15th century castle, dude. Like, like one time we went to Prague and there are these Italian guys that were, it was part of the flash, flash art uh, biennial thing in Prague. And um, one day these men were like, oh, Mario Carla, you want to go see our, our studio? Yeah, yeah, I would love to see that. The next day they take us to their studio and it's like the former Carlin studio, which was like the Czech Republic's like huge movie studio back in the day. And that's their studio. And then the next day they're like, oh, Mario Carla, you want to see our gallery? And we're like, well, didn't we see that yesterday? <laughs> they're like, no, no, come do it. Take us to this five story gallery. Like, and I'm just like, whoa, where am I? Oh, Mario Carla, don't worry. Tomorrow we'll take you to our castle. And we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck are these men talking about? The next day, these fuckers took us to their castle, dude. They had a fucking moat and everything. And, you know, to come home, <laughs> to come home and be like, yeah, where were you guys? Oh, dude, we were in this fucking castle. These guys have this thing and people are doing this and that. And to be able to, like, kind of share this. And uh, I, had a, I had a friend in grad school, uh, She's the native artist. Her name is Halea. And Halea, I would ask her like, hey, Halea, because she goes all over the world too. And I'd be like, oh, Halea, like how, like, how come you roll everywhere? Like, because she would always talk to us about the people back on the res and all this stuff and they don't go nowhere and they don't do this and that. And I'd be like, how did you get to go places? Like, what gave you the wherewithal to like go and do all these different things? And she was like, oh, because when we were kids, when we were kids, um, like she was part of some program that would take them somewhere else, like for summertime or something. Like I forget exactly what she said. She like they would go visit different places, but then they come back. And then she said, I think that's what gave me like the, the understanding to know that if you leave, 
you could come back. And she was saying, I think a lot of people fear, like if they're going to be leaving the community or the res or anywhere that it means forever. Like it means that they're going to be leaving forever. It's indefinite. Like you got to go live in, like go forge your life in the world. You know, like it's like this big thing. And that just sounds scary to me. Like I'll, I'll be scared of that too. Like if I didn't know I could like return and share things and 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 pass on info and stuff, like I would have probably been afraid to go and venture out too. But since she told me that, she's like, yeah, that's why I go all over the world. Cause I know I could come back. Like it's, it's, it's not like a closed system because she was, she got the model of that when she was a kid with whatever that program was. So I think that that's really important to understand as a person or individual, that is, if you're traveling and you're leaving, that there's always the return. Like there could always be the return. It's not an indefinite leaving. Like, and on the return, like if you know you're returning, you collect, you'll be like, like if you're going to be returning to your kids, like you bring them little presents, you bring them little things, you know, you, your family, you bring them little gifts, little uh, postcards and shit from wherever you go. Right. And um, for me, once I heard that and I understood that when I would travel and leave, I'd be like, well, there's going to be the return. And when I come back on the return, I better have some little gifts, trinkets. Like, like I remember like I would, one time I went to Chicago, the first time I went to Chicago, there was like a big zine fest like happening. And we were teaching the studio. We had like all these teenagers coming to the studio. I was like, fuck, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to budget a hundred bucks. I'm going to buy as many fucking zines as I possibly can, either from like a quarter ones to $5 ones to some fancy bound ones. And then I remember coming back to the studio and like pouring them on the table for the kids. Like, yo man, fuck it. These are zines. Look through all these fucking things and start making this shit, you know? And uh, so like something as simple a gesture as that to even just little information, telling stories uh, about like our journeys, but to understand that there's a return. And I think, you know, you're going to return and you're going to be able to share. And I think that's the most important part of that, you know, and then they see your scars, not your physical scars, but they see like, man, this motherfucker got weathered. You know what I mean? Yeah. new patina on this person (laughs) (laughs) yeah well one one thing too that i'm thinking of is so your experience from when you were a kid and you were the the little brother right now you're um an older member of your community maybe not the elders but i heard you say it before the yelder right yeah Yeah, that's right (laughs) yeah and like you know you probably would have been an, uh, an elder in your parents' generation time, right? But now, like, age is such a strange, nebulous space. And um, the cultural experiences, like, as you were mentioning, the brown, black, and the white um, kind of of system is there is, like, an embedded um, uh, youth to brown people in white spaces. Like, it's breathing new life into these ancient... Uh, um, systems, right? And so you always retain this bit of youth, even as you get older and older. But I'm thinking about also just the power of leaving a community and coming back to the community and experiencing that through 
um, bringing stories back. Like imagine the influence of seeing a member of your community who has had that trip, um, who's yeah, yeah. come back. Yeah, and, I'm getting to see happened. that just now. Right. Well, and, and like you're also paving in the minds of the next generation that it is possible, you know, and, and that makes a huge difference to, to see it. You can hear about it. It doesn't make it, you know, it's just information. But when you see it and you experience it, even the weathered patina, you're like, oh, yeah, it's it's not a fantasy. It's labor. And it's and it goes and you go out there, you know. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, you guys have been on the road for this past few years and uh, you know how much work it is. You know, it's it's a real job. And, you know, even though you're getting to visit all of these places, uh, for the most part, you're just seeing the insides of museums or the insides of wherever you're working. And, you know, people are like, oh, you got to go to this place. I'm like, yeah, I got to like go outside for like one evening. <laughs> you know, but the rest of the time we're like in the space, you know, especially with your projects, they're so complicated installations. Like they take a lot of effort to like just get set up. So you're in there for days setting things up and then maybe somebody feels sorry for you and takes you to dinner, something like that, <laughs> you know, but you're not like on the tourist uh, leg of visiting those places. And um, so, yeah, the I, I funny, it's funny that you're bringing that up because now that it's been 20 years. So we founded our studio in 2002. So this year is our language studio 20th year anniversary. And I didn't really explain that, but in 2002, the year after I got out of graduate school, uh, my wife and I and some other friends, we founded a space called Slanguage Studio here in our neighborhood. And um, originally, originally, we just wanted to have a space for us to work like as artists because we were leaving like schools. But then all the young adult artists started like knocking on our door like and I'd be like trying to hide from them. <laughs> They'd be like, yo, Marty, what you doing in there? And I'm like, I'm trying to make art fuckers, like leave me alone. No, we want to come in, we want to come in. I'd be like, all right, come in. And they were, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm drawing right now. Oh, can we draw? I'm like, okay, here's paper, like go to that corner. I'm like, leave me alone. Oh, but uh, oh, what are you doing now? Oh, we're trying to paint, airbrush this thing. Oh, I want to airbrush. Like, okay, well, here's my old compressor. Like go to that corner, go over there and airbrush. And then they'd have like those loud ass compressors, like nothing fancy. So it'd be like <laughs> all of a sudden it'd shake the whole fucking place. And be like, oh. Everybody would throw shit. And um, so they kind of started taking over the studio. So yeah, for 20 years now, like we've kind of been a kind of ad hoc, like art school here in the community. And uh, we, we were, we've taught we, that, that first generation became like artist teachers. They're teaching kids and teens and stuff. But now we've got to see it kind of come full circle a little bit to like address what you were saying, because um, as of last year, we just had, so a lot of the artists that we were working with are from the community. They were like graffiti artists and stuff like that. And I still get photos sent to me from them in prison sales. You know what I mean? Like uh, they got cell phones, contraband cell phones. They're sending me pictures of them and they're sadly rapping or whatever in their jail cell. But as of last year, we had our first youth that went through our program, was my student at UCLA, and then just finished his Yale MFA sculpture program. So it, his, his name is Armando Cortez. He just had his, he's just having his first uh, show at the Mass MoCA out of Yale program. 
He's, for, he's doing his first artist residency program at UT Austin, uh, teaching a class there. So he's like a freaking professor. And I saw him yesterday giving his lecture. And um, so like we're seeing that. And then a lot of some of our young women, like graffiti artists, like they've been traveling the world now that it's not it's not graffiti anymore, street art. Right. <laughs> so it's like they're doing street art now. And shit, man, the one of them just sent me images of her working on this project with the Getty. So I'm like, that's awesome, right? And I the other people have kind of taken up the torch and created art walks here in the community and different things like that. So for me, it's kind of fun because I could just be an observer in a lot of ways now, right? Like I could be um, on my own practice and I could kind of select like um older apprentice artist to work with me like my my assistant who you met remember jennifer that you met at asu dude she just got hired as the new assistant curator at the broad museum so like yeah. yeah dude i was i was i was like oh man that's awesome for her horrible for me <laughs> she was like my little hard drive dude she understood everything we were doing man so like the, the, the apprentices and interns and folks that I mentor now, they're kind of moving on to different positions uh, back to where they're doing the traveling and stuff. And there's one young woman, Nuria, she's a street artist, graffiti artist. And she's been to China, Japan, all over the place, painting her you know murals and stuff. And uh, so it's really cool to see how I, 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 I'm like, well, good, thank God. I like, I could see the manifestation of that work, right? Not just through my own experiences that I got to do, you know, be blessed to do, but like the shit that they're getting to do with some of them, I'll be jealous of like, damn, I want to do that. <laughs> but I kind of live vicariously through them uh, because by, I, as I'm getting older, man, it, it, it takes, it's a lot of wear and tear on you to be on the road. It, and you know that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's funny too because yeah, you there is this like twinge of of um, you know envy, jealousy for for those that you've inspired, um, and those that have like through their own labor pulled themselves into these positions and stuff like that. And yeah, you have that tinge of 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 uh, of jealousy or envy for them, but then you start to think about it, and you're like, it's amazing I got my pants on today. Like, fuck going. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, like, I got enough fucking work. It's fine. Uh, it's yeah, so, yeah. So right now I'm kind of relish, like I'm enjoying the moment of seeing you know these young artists getting out into the world and and doing things and 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 on a level that is kind of you know great and fantastic and and I guess I don't want to say that I just want to ascribe like value just to to the you know the officialness of their positions or what they're doing. But I'm also very proud of a lot of the artists that made their own niches outside of just like institutional uh, uh, acknowledgement, right? Like there's uh, this one guy who was one of our first artists that worked with us. His name is also Mario and uh, Dread. He's like a DJ and a graffiti artist. And um, he's, he's worked, he's found his way in like working with like Meals on Wheels and kind of really active in community stuff. And man, he, he, last year he was uh, volunteering with them and 
he ended up getting like seven certificates from the city of Los Angeles for like all his work. And I was like, dude, I don't even have one of those. <laughs> like, I want one of those. It's all like in calligraphy and stuff. And um, so like they, they found their own ways uh, to exist. And um, we're just, I'm just happy that, you know, Carla and I are just happy that we provided space for them at that time to grow. And they, yeah, like you're saying, through their own labor, you know, kept on trucking and kept fighting for their own positions and hopefully we were able to set a kind of model for that in terms of aspirations another one this girl aurelia she was like a graffiti kid and now she has like her she has her master's degree in certification in social work and when she was a kid, she used to ask so many questions. She knew, but like she was starting getting annoying a little bit. Like, <laughs> she was so curious. She was like, "What about this? And how do we do this? And what's this? And how? Who are those people? Why did you invite those people? Why are these people here?" Like, she would keep going on and on. And then uh, after she got her certification in social work, she started working children's cases, right? And I was at the burger place here in town, and. I was leaving and she was walking in with this 12 year old little girl and the 12 year old girl like came up to me with her and she was like all sassy. Right. And I went outside and I sat in the car and I looked back into the restaurant and Aurelia was sitting with this little girl and I almost, I was starting to cry. Cause I was like, damn, that little kid's going to ask her all the questions. <laughs> like she used to ask us, man. It's like, like payback time for her, but what a beautiful thing that, and we were patient with her questions. Hopefully she could be patient with this kid's questions. So, yeah, so coming back home is important too. You know, you, you never know what you're modeling. Yeah, well, let me lean in on that too. Like you are mentioning, you know, these folks that are doing work who were a part of the, you know, early stages of, of language and found a place for solace, a place for inspiration, just a place to be that feels safe, you know, like yeah. all of those sorts of things. It's fascinating to me because within the white institutional space, artists are manufacturers. You know, we create this art that is then commodified and moved through this whole system to celebrate culture, but as an object, yeah. not as something that's living and breathing. But when you're an artist and you're working in community, um, it's not always the art that's the thing that um, is the most tangible aspect. You know, the object is a byproduct. But understanding how to relate with one another, how to build relationship. I mean, I can see that through the through the through art as a conduit. There is so much information that can be shared around like social work, for instance, you know, um, you know, uh, 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 economic development, you know, uh, social development, all of these sorts of things that are embedded in you know, art as the conduit to learn all of these different aspects. So it's cool to see, you know, hear about how all of those other facets are also extensions of language and uh, uh, languages kind of influence on the community. Yeah. And kind of now I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm getting, I'm like, oh man, I need to start passing the baton now to some of these artists that are kind of grown and have their own practices and stuff. And uh, so like we've been meeting every week, every other week to kind of develop an, an exhibition for the end of the year, like a 20th anniversary exhibition for the studio. And uh, I'm like, it's like relinquishing power to certain degrees with them. Like, 
this girl, Gloria Sanchez, who's an amazing artist. And when she was young, like a really, she's always been an awesome organizer too. But I remember when she was like 18, her and her three friends came to the studio and they're like, Mario, we want to do discussion groups. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, what do you want to do? They're like, well, we want to invite people to talk about subjects we think are important. And I'd be like, okay, that sounds great to me. Uh, when do you want to do it? Wednesday afternoons, you know, they were like, uh, super like adamant about everything i was just like okay just when do you need me to open the door <laughs> like that's all i really need to know and they're like wednesday afternoons and i'm like do you have a list yes we have 10 people we already want to invite so she has been always awesome uh, like organizing that way so uh she's going to be the curator of our 20th year anniversary show right and uh we carla she interviewed carla she interviewed myself just to give her like some kind of sense of what we were thinking and then she as she's been picking artists and stuff she's like what about this artist i want to use this artist and i'm like well you're the curator like like if if you need their information like i could give you their email or their phone number but you're curating this like however you see them in the exhibition like if you want them i got your back like just let me know how i could get get you guys in touch or whatever and, and the other one, the other person, this woman, Betty, she's doing all the public programming. She was also one of our people. And um, she's like, I want, because I was asking them, what do you guys want to do? She's like, I want to be the curator. I want to be public programmer. Okay, great. That's great for me. What do you, what do you want to do? And uh, being able to relinquish like that power a little bit, because I'm, I'm trying to get to this point where I'm like, man, y'all need to start doing things because like, uh, if, but my father passing away, I'm like, I really feel like there's a timer on me, you know? And I'm like, I would really like this uh, language to have like a life after me, you know, knock on wood, you know? So they're like, I feel like they're feeling like a little bit more like, okay, we could we could do this model. And I'm like, please, like, please do it. I, I, like, I was telling them, just invite Carla and I to the gala later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I just, just make sure that like, we can come to the gala and, and when we do the fundraiser stuff, like I'll show up and tell my jokes and you guys run the shit. And uh, so that's kind of the point I'm at now with these folks, because they're they're brilliant, man. They're like they, they're, they're just way more in touch with every I'm like still always in like a sense of constantly learning with all of them. But they're brilliant. They could run they could run anything they wanted to run. I'm just really hoping that they would choose to help, you know, run this language stuff. But you were talking about like the value that isn't just placed into like a kind of object, but the value that is created by like the community stuff and all the aspects of that. And I would always tell people, cause like for the first two years of running the studio, like I didn't, I didn't, wasn't making stuff. Like I wasn't making things per se. I was just getting there, sweeping, making sure the light bill is paid, like picking up like trash from the bar next door, like, you know, like human waste to like whatever, you know, that's what I was doing. Like, and like making sure the place was cleaned up and the trash was out. I was totally like the maintenance man for like the first couple of years. Like I'm saying, like, what time do you need me to open the door? That's all I need to know. And um, I would, I'm really lucky. And I'm sure you understand this, you know, because curators would come visit, you know, curators and artists and historians and folks come visit you, you know, and um, you you definitely know this situation and uh, folks would come into the studio and they, they would see like Aurelia's photographs from when she climbed down a bridge to spray paint it or something like this. And this other guy, Eric Marquez, who was like 
obsessed with Ozzy Osbourne and was going to draw every Ozzy album, Ozzy album ever, like on, <laughs> like on line notebook paper, like these beautiful drawings on like line notebook paper. And they would have all their stuff up in the studio and uh, the carrier would come in and they'd be like, oh, these are amazing drawings. Are they yours? And I'd be like, oh, no, that's this guy, Eric Marquez. He wants to draw every Ozzy Osbourne record ever. Oh, these are great photographs. Are these yours? I'm like, oh, no, that's this girl, Aurelia. And then they start getting confused. They'd be like, well, what are you making? And I'd, and, and I'd have to remind them, Chinupa, like, you're breathing in it. Yeah. You're breathing in what I'm making. And they would be like, oh, like, like the fucking world, like, oh moment yeah. happened right and they look around like oh shit okay we get what you're saying and um it took it took a while you know for people to kind of get that and then like after i kind of set the precedent like okay the studio is like a place where you could come blah 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 but then i was like shit i gotta make stuff too and um so people ask well how did you have your practice along with these workshops and this other stuff going on and carla always would tell them and remind them everything was on wheels <laughs> everything in the studio is on wheels so like if we're making a sculpture or building something for an installation whatever table or whatever we were using was on wheels and then by five o'clock when Gloria was going to come and have this talk like everything had a roll to the walls right and uh so like shit has to be like on wheels man like it's got to be able to be moving flux and adapt to like what's happening and, uh, and people are always asking me, like, well, what, how did you find a balance? How did you find a balance? And I'm like, dude, there's no fucking balance. That's like, why, why the fuck would you even ask you? Ask that. Like, who the fuck told you that there's a balance? Like, that shit's not, there's no fucking balance. It's, it's not for everybody. You know, it's not for the faint of heart. Like, if you, if you need balance, don't fuck with this. Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, this is not for motherfuckers that need balance in their lives. Like, like if, if well, you know, I had the end, I was younger then. So I, I started, I was like 27, bro. I had a lot of energy. So shit, like, there was no fucking balance. And I'm out. I, I used to try to answer that question, Chinupa, like, Oh, balance. Oh, yeah. Like the best thing I could say about balance was the shit was on wheels so that it could roll to one side of the fucking place when we needed to do one thing and roll back out when we were working on something else. But there was no goddamn balance. Uh, and it, there wasn't like, uh, yeah, it, it took a toll, man. It did have its cost. And I, I guess when you're going for something, things have its cost. It ha they have their cost physically. They have their cost on relationships. It has its cost on your men mental health. You know, uh, right now it's a different era where we could talk about mental health and all these things a little bit more openly. So hopefully folks are, uh, folks can like roll along with that and find the help they need. But in relationship to art and balance, it, it's I don't know I, 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 I've, I've been making art my whole adult life and I don't know if there is a kind of balance because because I guess we're mostly you know that remember that Beastie Boy song you got to fight for your right to party remember that song yeah like we have to fight for our right to arty right like, that's like, yeah. we're like we've been like fighting for our right to arty and it's hard to fucking go into like from beast mode and switch it off to like rest mode but that's why, like, my first question to you when we 
got in contact with each other is like, oh, I'm glad you're home. I hope you're resting. Like, I hope <laughs> you and your family are resting. It's and on wheels, Mario. It's, it's on wheels. wheels. I know. I know. But I hope you're eating right. I hope you're because when you're on the road, that's one thing that's super hard is like you never know what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat and how you're going to eat. So like we like, we we ate pretty good, except for on our drive home. I had. Uh, I had some Wendy's burgers, and right now you had some truck stop hot dogs. Yeah, it was like <laughs> East East California, you know, in the de- Southeast California, in the desert. You know, the cats who can handle this are sitting in a semi truck for you know hours. Yeah, yeah. Wendy's for some reason is like they had a whole slew of like new insane hamburgers, and of course. <laughs> I'm like, I want one of these new insane hamburgers, you know? Yeah, and I, man, I, I, I totally get you, man. Like, I think it's musicians, musicians understand that, you know, because they have to be on the road all the time, you know, but the kind of perception of artists in their studio all the time, just painting and they're just like walking through the woods or something like that's kind of like been the grand narrative of kind of like art in the popular imagination, like a kind of contemporary artist on airplanes and on the roads and all that kind of stuff hasn't been brought to like a kind of popular imagination yet. So like, you're like, and so when we're on the road, like the only model that we could really look at, maybe like, I wouldn't want to say sports teams, maybe sports teams a little bit or musicians more, more likely that are like doing this on the road lifestyle, uh, yeah, so it's 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 when you get home, you really like kind of collapse into rest, and you gotta think about like stuff like that. I remember there was like a whole year I never washed socks and underwear. It was just like I would just buy a new pack. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why even bother? Like, fuck it. Like, just go buy new packs of socks and underwear. Like, I ain't got fucking time. You know, there were these moments where like. Carla would pick me up from the airport. We'd go to IHOP and then I would take her back to the airport to fly somewhere. And then like, that was like the, that's how we rolled for a while. Um, but yeah, there, there's no, there's no real like, um, like on the road, Jack Kerouac guide for our contemporary artists and like how we have to function in like several different contexts and places, actual places, physical places at a time, like, you know, you're you're juggling about a few projects, at least a few projects at a time, trying to come up with like, you know, the material sources and the ideas and uh, the the kind of discursive kind of language that has to happen around them. And uh, and you're uh, doing all of that six months in advance to a year, right? Yeah, so you're yeah, like, all right, I got to plan all of this shit out. Yeah. And yeah. then you run it. We, me and me and my wife Ginger were just talking about this, like you do all of this pre-planning and you're making sure that the calendar is just so, but when you get into that moment of the calendar, you're like, why the fuck did we do so much? Like, why did we say yes to so many things? And it seemed like it was going to work a year ago, six months yeah. ago. Now no, I'm like, I'm burnt out. <laughs> no, no, you need a rest. That, that's what I was. That's why I, I feel you guys need a rest. Cause I've been there, been there in that spot. Yeah, so just enjoy your time home and and rest there and catch up on, you know, checking in with folks and playing with your boys and your doggy and like just yeah. kind of be. We're traveling with them more. So yeah, I'm like, I saw that. That's cool. 
Yeah, yeah. That was like a big move, a big shift since COVID, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID. Um, and the conversation really, you know, it, it broke down to a few things of like, well, what is safe for you? You know, and this was a conversation I was having with another museum earlier. And, and everyone was looking at like safety, you know, what's your, yeah, you know, yeah. how comfortable are you traveling during COVID? What's, you know, what do you, what do you want to have safe? And I was like, you know, honestly, the world could be on fire. And as long as I have my family right around me, I have a sense of like control and a sense of uh, shelter and community and comfort, you know, knowing that I know where we're at. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to do a residency or I don't want Carla to do a residency like for like long sp spans of time without each other being together. It's like I, when I a few years ago, I was teaching in Maine for Sco at Skowhegan and my wife had a stroke all the way here in California, dude. And oh. like, I was like, oh, my God, like, how am I going to get there? Like, I'm, well, I got to go now. What's going to happen? And you know, thank God, you know, she got to the hospital and everything like that. Then she recuperated. But then a week later, her mother passed away. So that I, I this, this is like, it's too, like the distance like that. So I totally understand what you're saying. Like, if, if you're in the sphere with them, in the proximity with them and understand what's going on, like, it's much more, you could be much more at ease to work than if you're like, Oh shit! What's going on? Waiting for phone calls and from another part of the country, dude. My wife, like, and I'm in Maine, right? So it was so hard because I was in Maine in the woods, and I get no cell phone service there. So, like, my my wife, when she went to the hospital after a stroke, she was having the nurse call me, try to call me, and uh, I wasn't picking up because there's no service. And uh, I was in a faculty meeting, and the director came. Is like, Mario, Mario, you got to get to a phone now. And I'm like, Whoa! What happened? She's like your Carla had a stroke. You need to call the hospital. I'm like, Whoa, what's going on? And you know, what happened was is that Carla somehow convinced the nurse to put a Facebook post on her Facebook page that she was in the hospital and she had a stroke. So, so the nurse said, I don't, this isn't normal, but she's like, yeah, Mario will fucking see the Facebook page before he'll see the phone call. So she put, po they posted it on Facebook one of my former students from here in California at CalArts reached out to another student that was in New York, who then reached out to the director. And that's how they let me know that Carla was in the hospital after a stroke. Like that kind of shit is not good. That's not like yeah. not cool. And um, so, yeah, I could see that having your boys around you is a, is a great, you know, cool. And then you're also sharing the experience, you know? So yeah, it's, 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 there's no, there's no playbook. <laughs> Uh, for how contemporary artists have to be moving around and uh, you know it takes its toll on you you get tired man so it's just just how it is what's your um, you and Carla have you know been been together and have been working kind of on your own projects but then crossover stuff what's the what's the um, kind of relationship models that you guys are navigating in to like sustain all of that yeah, I guess I guess we kind of been in rotation, like so, like certain certain moments, like Carla will be in charge of doing like language programming or uh, doing whatever education stuff we're up to, and then like uh, I'll work on projects, you know, on, on my projects. But then like it kind of has been an ebb and flow because then once she starts picking up with like her 
studio practice. Like she's been doing all these paintings and stuff. Like I've been kind of picking up, picking up for like, okay, I'll, I'll run the, um, the education stuff myself and, um, I'll do this. And then it's also very important at even at any of those times that we have like a good support team around us, uh, like good people that could either, um, and that's like something you're always kind of trying to build. And I think that's something that like when you come home, one of the things that is good to kind of build within your community are kind of like these support team structures that will be able to like help you navigate things, you know, uh, even if it's something as simple as kind of like light administrative work or uh, some actual like physical studio work and things like that. And I, people always come to us or have come back to us once they go to school and stuff and then they come back and they're like oh we want to teach a class and I'm like all right perfect like I can help you develop like the syllabus and materials list and kind of the kind of logistics of it but then they actually teach the classes so like for over the years like we've had several of the artists that have worked with come back and be teaching artists with us and then I kind of, I act at that moment or Carlax is a moment as the facilitators be, and the kind of go-betweens between the institutions and them and kind of train them on how to kind of do that and kind of, uh, not handhold, but yeah, handhold them to like get through things. Uh, mentor, we'll go yeah, with mentor. Yeah, mentor, mentor, andale, mentor. Yeah, 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 be a yelder and be a mentor. Uh, and so that go through those and navigate those kind of institutional things because, you know, a lot of them will be like, oh, this person didn't email me back and why aren't they doing this? And, oh, I asked for this supply and I didn't get, the, you know, all those kind of day-to-day -day things that kind of happen. And we're there to be like, okay, it'll be all right. Let me just speak to them. They probably missed something and, you know, try to be the benefit of the doubt type of person or, oh, they said you need to pick it up. We'll save the receipts, you know, they could, you know, stuff like that. And, oh, there was no kids in the class this week. Like, well, it is like a holiday weekend. Don't freak out. Like, you know what I mean? Like that happens. You know what I mean? Like, oh, there was just one kid. Good. Just spend time with that one kid. Oh, shit. A whole family of 20 people came. Okay, great. Like, you know, like that's the kind of nature of workshopping. Like you never know who's going to show up and who's not going to show up. And uh, so like those types of kind of logistics are what we kind of help with on that end. And um, so, yeah, we kind of take shifts or turns. Like Carla hasn't really been uh, dealing with language stuff because she's been working on her paintings. And I, we, for me personally, I just came off of the show in Arizona. So my time opened up a little bit and I've been more working on drawings early in the morning. So like, uh, like that's been my focus time because I feel like once I do a big project like that, like we we worked on these projects in Arizona, you and I, and I was like, once I kind of do something like that and I had to work with the team and I had to work with videographers and I had to work with all these different people, like I kind of shrink back into just drawing. Like it cost me a dollar for the paper, like 10 cents for the pencil. <laughs> like It's like, I don't got to like send emails back and forth to everybody and get weed transfer files and watch hidden YouTube videos to like see what I needed to correct on things. Well, you know that when you have to like run a team, it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of back and forth and communicating. When I make a drawing, it's just like, there's three things happening to me is this fucking pen, the fucking paper and me touching the shit. Like that's it. <laughs> like my brain to pen to paper, that's it. And uh, it's, a so when I go do those big projects after I have to like, 
I guess I'm like shrink back into like my own imaginative space because the other thing with those big projects is that you're like, oh, I'm solving the like it's kind of homework. Right. You're like working with the curators, they come up with those, they come up with some kind of problematic. And then as artists, somehow they cast us because they feel like we can, we're like fit for the role of that. And then we're kind of working on these projects that, yeah, we want to do and we want to get done, but they're kind of ultimately kind of serving a purpose for the thematic of the exhibition or something like that. So like we don't get to like explore like our own just weirdo imaginative spaces all the time. And so I feel like for me drawing, when I kind of come off of those big projects is a kind of balancing act for me. Well, let me ask you this then. Um, you just came off of that big project. You're back home. You're exploring the imaginative realm. Um, <laughs> just brain and lead and paper, you know, uh, and the freedom of that space. Do you have, um, you know, since you've been doing that, because it's been, it's been a little bit, are there, are there things brewing in your head that you're interested in, you know, that you want to do next project and or like big dream kind of kind of things kind of in the in the works that you're comfortable talking about? Yeah, man. Um, I, I have a few things that I want to do and a couple of things that I've been wanting to do for a while. Some are kind of like grand, grand projects and some are just like I got to get this out there in the world. Like this, has to, like I, I don't care. I don't care like what kind of audiences. I just got to do it. And so, I, like one of the things that I've been brewing is that my mother, because I've, I've kind of my, my, I've done these kind of portraits of folks, and they're kind of through like ephemera and stuff. And my mother, when I was a child, she used to always play like really good soul music and like kind of like awesome like Motown and all these great 45s and records in the house and uh and uh I would be watching cartoons on a Saturday morning and she'd be like vacuuming and like the fucking TV would go all fuzzy and um I started collecting records again like I never wanted to collect records because um like all my DJ friends, like, dang, they have so many records. I always thought like, I don't have space for all those records. So I thought, oh, I'd collect 45s, like the little records. And now I have like a fucking hundred million records, but I wanted to make a playlist, a set, a DJ set called music. My mom played while cleaning the house. Mm -hmm. Collecting all this music as a kind of homage to my mom cleaning the house. And it's kind of funny because I was like, okay, this will be like a kind of performative thing, maybe like a casual thing to kind of do somewhere. Um, Cause you know, I, I, I feel like, and I've been practicing it in the studio, like throughout COVID, <laughs> like I've been like going and practicing it and like an hour, two hours a day. And um, so finally, I think next week I'll be able to, to do that DJ performance, the, the music my mom played while cleaning the house at this place called Compound Long Beach here, here and down here. And um, it'll have like a first a kind of public thing for it. But it's funny because like as I've been thinking about that, like things, things have been coming to me from like the universe, like the universe or like the ancestors been sending me shit. And um, one of the things that they sent me was that I was scrolling through Instagram one day, like about two months ago, and I saw this uh, record dealer I know post a photograph of a the back of a, Mer- a Motown Mary Wells Best of album. And underneath it, in the tagline, he wrote Cholo'd. And I was like, what? And then I started, the, there was like, 
hit up on like had like a whole roll call of all these people's names like in black marker on the back of the record and i was like dude that's my fucking uncle's tag like Whoa. that's my uncle <laughs> i'm like that's my uncle those are all his homies like that's his hood and then he had just had like this close-up image i was like how the fuck did this record dealer get get like our shit right and um so I hit him up. I was like, dude, like, that's my family's shit. Like, I need it back. Like, you can't have that, you know? And I was like, and on the side of it, it'll say my mom's name. Like, so he just had this close-up of, like, my uncle's tags. And I was like, yeah, on the side of it, it'll say La Lori Eastside Weed Moss. And I told him, like, what the rest of it would say. And he was like, oh, dude, like, I'm sorry. Like, I got this from um, a lot of records that I got. And it was in there. And I was like, nah, dude, that's my shit. Like, he was like, he was like, well, you can come get it from me. I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. So I drove over there and I got it back from him. And on the inside of it, he only had like one, like one side of the record sleeve. And on the inside of it, it had my dad's fucking tag in there, dude. And my father had just passed. And I'm like, fuck, dude, like my uncle's passed, my dad had passed. And then this motherfucker just posted this shit on the internet. And I was thinking somebody had come to the studio, one of the DJs probably that were in there spinning and like try to be on the slide still my record and then fucking sold all the rest of their records this guy got them and i was like what the fuck dude like so those kind of co like universal serendipitous coinkydink things are kind of happening with this so so that's kind of like the smaller picture like what i would say is kind of like the research or like the ancestors sending me things to be like yo this is you're on track you know but my big goal is like well so we're here in los angeles there's all these, I, I was telling you about parades earlier, is I would really like to make a parade float around like this theme of my mom, the music my mom played while cleaning the house. There's a lot of like, there's like the Hollywood parade, there's a Rose parade, there's parades here in the community. And um, for the past few years, I'm like, damn, I want to make a float. Like I want to make a float. And so I feel like maybe the imaginative drawing stuff, like cutting loose and just making stuff happen on a page will be like a precursor to like, all right, I need to shift this to design my float. Right. Like you would be a dope. You're like, you'll be on my parade. I want you to make a float for the parade too. <laughs> like, I'll, if I'll you haven't made a float, I want you on the list. <laughs> yeah, man, if, if, I, if you haven't made a float, like your shit would be fucking brilliant on a float. And um, so we could have a float parade together. But um, that's kind of like big picture. Like, I, like, because the, the building where my studio is, uh, my landlord, he used to make monster trucks. Like he builds fucking, like he builds all the tubular structures and everything. And when a long time ago, he, he approached us and he was like, Hey, can you guys help me make one of these uh, monster trucks into a Grinch mobile? Cause I want to be the Grinch and drive it in the Christmas parade. And like, we helped him make the sleigh, the Grinch's sleigh and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of been in my head for a while. And every year I go to the, the day after the Rose Parade, they, they just park them in a park and you could go visit the, the floats. And you see like that they just used to be like this old car chassis and they just like build the stuff up. And um, that, that's, that's, how you can, uh, that's how you can write off the van that you need to get. There you go. See, perfect. <laughs> and um, dude, one of the kids that what used to be one of my mentees, not a kid no more. He was one of our mentees when he was a teenager and he went to uh college and then he came home and I, he was like my studio assistant and i swear to god tanupa like he could not measure shit like 
anything that he would cut, like we'd be like, I'd have the other kid like, all right, EJ, go check if like Tony like measured it right. And we would like cut two piece lengths of wood and they'd still be off. And I'd be like, dude, like what the fuck? But uh, thank God he worked past that now that he got all the German tools. I don't, what are those Germans? He, he bought like those German stacking tools over here, what they're called. But he's all like, he's all like a carpenter now. And uh, he works building rose parade floats. So I'm like, fucking dude, man, like it's it's coming together, man. Like the universe is swirling into like us pr- preparing to make a float. And maybe it is about like moving back into like just like a public realm and something for like a communal thing. Because I've worked with, gal- dude, I've worked with eight national and international galleries from New York to here to Switzerland to Berlin, all these people. And my practice doesn't align with their schedules. <laughs> and, uh, my practice doesn't align with their schedules. And I've been trying to be like, you know, and nobody ever told me, you know, in my studies and all this, that galleries were retail outlets. Like if, if somebody would have told me, hey, dude, it's a store, I would have been like, oh, fuck, it's a store. But since I feel like maybe you can attest to this too, is I feel I was born a little bit backwards because I started working with curators first. And, you know, the curators, when they're inviting you to museums and stuff, they want you to do the big couture shit. You know what I mean? They want you to do the big, crazy shit. And they want it, the the intentionality isn't really for sale. They just want the big, crazy shit, the attention-grabbing stuff. But a gallery wants the small, medium, large, purple, yellow, blue, and for the most part, shit that goes on walls. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, so like I would be like pitching to a gallery, like, yeah, man, I want, like, I can't even imagine this. Like, I want to make a parade float and fucking all this stuff and this and this and this. And their head is just like, ching, ching, ching. Like, mine is fucking, this budget's going to be crazy to fucking make this fucking thing. (laughs) Like, motherfucker, just tell me you want paintings and and I'll just not give you these fucking um, proposals. It's like, if you're just honest with me and stop fronting like you're a museum, like you're not a museum, first of all, but they pretend to be museums. And you're like, I don't need you to bridge me into the museum world because I already fucked with museums. Like you're actually bringing me here because I have the credibility for museums that just be honest with me and be like, all right, my dear, like if somebody were to be honest with me, like Chinupa, I'll be honest with you. Chinupa, you're going to have a show at my gallery in New York or in London. Better make some shit that we could sell. You could make mm-hmm. your big crazy shit. Like, that's great. We'll put that in the middle of the room. But like, we need some like things that are sellable that will go on the wall. So like right now, just choose. I was like, damn, like and I told you, Chinupa, choose three sizes. Like, <laughs> and order them from your stretcher bar person, wherever the fuck that is. And then when you're making your big crazy sculpture, just throw some paint, leftover paint onto those fucking canvases. And like, okay, when we put your big ass fucking thing in the middle of the room that you make, at least the paintings are going to match the colors from the sculpture thing that you made. It's like Paul McCarthy, if you think of him, like makes these big ass shit sculptures. And then he makes like these paintings on the wall that have the same shit. Like literally, they're supposed to be paintings of shit that are squares. (laughs) (laughs) They're squares. He's like, damn, man, nobody fucking told me that. So the, the big okay. work is advertisement, right? Like if you want to look at it super cynically, like yeah, the big dude. installations, they're advertisements to sell 
the smaller shits, which will pay for making new big shit to sell the new small shit exactly. to make new big shit. And don't forget that the fashion houses, they make their most money off of purses and fragrances. Right. To carry your shit. <laughs> yeah, so they got the couture, which like one lady in the world will buy. Lady Gaga maybe bought it, but they let her wear it to the Oscars, right? Uh, then they have the, the flagship store, which sells the, the ready-to-wear stuff that was manufactured by children in Vietnam or whatever. And then they got the merch. They got the, the fragrances and the purses. So like you're you got the fucking couture shit on lock. Like your big ass projects are gonna, you know, God willing, they're gonna go into foundations. Like they're gonna yeah. <laughs> museums and foundations are gonna collect those things. The but like person that pulls up in like a 600, 700 series BMW, like they need the thing that goes in their trunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cynical, but, but like nobody ever explained that to me. So I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, and, and then even yesterday, my friend, I was talking to my friend and he was like, dude, you are the art. Like your problem is you are the art. And I'm like, yeah, fuck, I guess so. And um, he's like, but you're the, you are the art, you know, on my page, he was saying like, every picture is like a picture of my paintings. <laughs> like, like on your page, you're fucking going and doing this dumb shit and that dumb shit and going and doing, take a picture of the thing you saw when you walked and like this and this and that. He's like, so you were the art. And I was like, ah, oh, damn, like, how do I change that? You know, one thing that, uh, yeah, within the last year, I would say, I've been noticing on social media, on Instagram in particular, all of the little quotes of, um, that you've been posting They've been super helpful, like for me and my mental health. I shit you not. Like, I, I will pop it up. I will see one of those little quips, and I'll be like, "Ah, fucking Mario gets it." Like, thank you for posting that today. All I can do is like put a heart next to it, but yeah. like, it literally it it would put into perspective. It, it seemed like it was curated to like the weird shit that was going. I would always show it to Ginger. I'd be like, look at what Mario said. Like, we were just talking about this. And no, my, 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 my other friend's wife calls me Mondi, the Mexican Gandhi. <laughs> but me, like, that's the thing, like, yeah, like, game recognized game. I, I think that's why we have a, an affinity for each other because that I, we recognize each other and we can see each other's, like, value. And when I see you, I'm always really excited because the way you're so eloquent and can put things to words in a kind of loving but still biting way is always super impressive for me, too. Like, uh <laughs> Well, with that being said, I wa- I would love for you to give us something to um, think about as we uh, uh, let this episode play into the world. Is there anything that you want to leave in the minds of those who listen, those who uh, are trying to pay attention, those who subscribe, whatever, you know, whatever, for future generations, for context, you know, could you mandi us something on our way out the door? <laughs> yeah facilitate don't play or hate word thank you so much mario thank you chinupa thank you ginger the boys over there and uh yeah man it was a pleasure and to everybody out there in the world you could follow me on instagram 
at follow my studios language studio um i would love to have you love to have you in our sphere Chance.